Welcome back, podcasters. This is your real, raw, and flaw podcast with your host, Michael Pinky. We're getting back into it. Had to take a little breather. Had a week off. Was traveling quite a bit, so back in the studio, getting back to business, picking up where we left off. We left off at the Ely Park years where we had moved there with uh, my mother at this apartment complex, and my sister and I got into a about a third of the way into those years, but there was a lot more that we really left out, uh, really for me, the fun part. So I have my sister back on. Amber, say hello. Hello. Glad to be back. Thanks so much. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we kind of left it off where uh, we, we really talked about getting in their time timeline. We, uh, we were a little confused about years, so we were really doing a lot of detail work getting into Ely Park, and we touched on some of the kind of ridiculous, the ice cream truck and, you know, the massive crashes down the hill and some of the fun stuff, but I think the continuation of the Ely Park years is is the fun stuff, so we didn't even dive into Camp Saratoma, which is, in my head, <laughs> it, it makes me laugh when I think about these times because if I look at my whole life and how I used to look at how miserable I thought it was, that seems like that little era where we're at the camp Saratoma seems like a dream I had and not reality. <laughs> cause, cause I don't, I still don't even believe that was part of our lives. Cause it seemed like a privileged, very privileged thing and moment to do. <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely awesome memories for me as well. I, I, I loved those years. That was so, super fun. So what did we... Uh, so we, we talked about being at Ely Park, and <clears throat> we were there for two and a half years, something like that, three years? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So roughly roughly three years-ish. Um, but at some point, Mom was... Got close to, or just previous to that, got close to Mr. Sharetti, which was the father of... Um, I don't know all the kids, but mom's age as well right was that right before you leave or did they know each other for a long time well no she she knew um the family from st james for years i think that uh as she moved you know into her kind of single mom independent life working hard raising us and whatnot um some folks at church were you know kind of gathering and he he really was a pillar of the community and very aware of um, the needs of others and very altruistic, both him and his wife, in making sure that everybody had the exposure to some of the more special things, like Camp Sertoma. And he was, um, his name was Chief Paul, and he was <laughs> actually Paul. the, yeah, he was actually the head chief. He, how, how Camp Sertoma came about, the, the connection is that he was a part of the Boys and Girls Club. And the Boys and Girls Club was either a sponsor or something like that for Camp Sertoma. So he helped us to kind of get, um, I don't know, the free right, so, passes. So let's, let's, let's put the story in place so everybody knows, listeners. St. James, uh, down the street from Grandma's house in Johnson City, New York. Mom started going there early on when she started, you know, getting her own job, started being Grandpa. independent. Yeah. No, she actually went there with her, her father. That oh, was his church. Oh, early years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I, I don't ever remember Grandpa going to church, so I don't remember that. Grandpa was extremely devout. Um, I don't think by the time we came along, I don't think they were going to Sunday Mass, but I gotcha. think that's where she got it from. Okay. So Mom ends up still continuing to go there <clears throat> as she got independent, separated from Dad, and she was bringing us at a young age. I remember, you know, playing with cars, not even knowing what church was, but so to get the ties together. So St. James Church, uh, Paul Sharetti was a staple in that church um, yes. with them. He had a pretty deep family, so they kind of kind of surrounded Mom with kind of love and made her kind of part of their family as well. So Mom built a really strong bond with this family. Chief Paul, now let's make him call him Chief, also <laughs> ran Camp Saratoma, which was an extension of the Boys and Girls Club, which was in a location that I could never, if you gave me $10 million, find it right now. Windsor, New York. No, I had no clue. You could have said anywhere, but I would have said okay. Because 
because it felt like the furthest bus ride in the entire world. It was a day camp, um, although I wish it was an overnight camp. Um, but yeah, so they picked Forever us up every camp? day. And we rode to camp and sang all kinds of crazy songs, and this and that. It was awesome. Okay, so readily we get tied into that, obviously, because mom's close to them. It was obviously suggestion of Paul. So we start going to Camp Saratoma. Now, I don't even, I don't even remember you and I there. Like I don't remember the timing of. I remember going there. I remember the bus rides. I don't really remember me and you ever being there together or same time. Is that true? same couple of summers or whatever it ended up being um and but you know because we were six years apart i was in the older like preteen group and you were in like the little dude group so we would maybe pass each other like marching by singing mohawks mohawks or whatever (laughs) but uh we didn't really see each other all that much at camp i mean what a what a to me again why it seems like a dream it seems like a uh uh, I feel like Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't even know. Except it seems so different than our life. It was awesome. That it seemed fake. But we had, we rode horses. We did archery. We did swim classes. There was cafeteria. I, I remember being so excited about even eating. <laughs> probably, probably because it wasn't a, a normal thing in our family as far as like sitting down to eat. But like, I remember being so excited to go to, so we can have like 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 food like eat like I don't know do, do you remember okay so let me I don't know like what you remember specifically but do you remember that you had to kind of sing for your supper at lunchtime so yeah. all the all the campers would line up outside the lunch hall and we were divided into the the mohawks the cayugas I was a um, cayuga the, I think the Senecas and maybe the Braves. I'm not sure what the fourth one was. And whatever tribe you were in, those tribes had to do their chant that we had to learn. And we had to, whoever sang the loudest got to go in to eat first, like to get the first best seats to be served first. <laughs> and it was awesome. So I'm, I'm literally trying to think. My first kind of memory. Did we? Was there times that you could stay over though? I thought there was like weekends. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So okay. at the end of every two week period, there was overnights so that you could earn your badges. So you had to first become a blue brave, then a red brave, then like a silver hawk, a gold hawk, and then a chief or something. And depending on your age group, there were certain things you had to do in order to earn these rights. And once you got to whatever the badge was, the, the blue badge or the red badge, you got to go on like a two-night overnight um, at the camp. And so we did stay there a couple of times. And w- me personally, I got to go on a um, counselor-in-training three-night um, canoe trip up the Delaware River and camp with, I don't even know who these people were. I mean, I can't remember <laughs> any of the people I was actually with. Um but it was one of the best times of my entire life. I thought oh my it was God. So, cool. so 18 miles a day on the Delaware River, eel traps, camping at night, eating like army meal packs. It was so cool. I mean, check this out. I'm literally on the Camp Saratoma website right now. Okay. Which I didn't even know it still existed. It is an extension of Boys Girls Club. It's in Kirk, Kirkwood, New York. And here it is. Here's a picture of the main. House where we ate, and the pond that was right to the left of that in the hill. Remember? Yeah, aquatics. Well, there was two. There was a lake that was for boating, canoeing, and swimming. For some reason, they always made us swim at like 6.30 in the morning when it was freezing. And and none of us knew how to dive yet because we were like little kids, and they'd like hold your shirt and like force you to dive in the freezing cold water at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, But there was also what was better and where everybody wanted to go was the aquatics playground. And that was right across from the lunch hall. Yeah. And it had a, it had a zip line over the pond. Oh yeah. So let's, yeah. Oh yeah. So you had to be a certain age in that too. I remember because it wasn't, or a certain level. There's levels of, of skills at Camp Saratoma. Right. you, You had to have discipline. So 
The facilities have swim pools, tennis courts, athletic field, playground, horse stables, pond, dining hall, residence halls. Activities were swimming lessons, horseback riding, archery, kayaking, canoeing, uh, nature studies, music drama. Oh, I remember that. Crafts. Yeah, arts and crafts. That was awesome. And Indian IOR. I remember the Indian, um, like, getting really into it, like the culture of it. Wow. It was all Just based around that. It was all based around Indian lore. And Chief Paul literally wore like a headdress and they would have like smoke yeah. ceremonies and they would beat the drum and we'd all have to meet in the circle. And in order to earn your badge for each level, for whatever age group you were, you had to pass different core skills at each of those activity centers. So you had to learn how to whittle a stick, start a fire, um, you know, whatever it was, swim at a certain level. So, so do you think? Did do you think that Paul sponsored this for me and you? Because when I'm looking at, I know the pricing's changed twenty years later. What but, are they now? But this is not something Mom would have been able to afford. No, I actually remember that uh, Paul got us in. I don't know if it was through Catholic charities or if so many kids per summer got like a scholarship. But gotcha. we that's what we, that's what we got. Oh, uh, here it is—the Warrior Program. Yes. Blue Brave, Red Brave, Warrior, Silver Warrior. Yes. And then you're part of different tribes. Uh-huh. Mohawk, Cayuga. Why is it on? Wow, this is crazy. I can't believe this is the first time I've ever looked at this. I, I just literally thought of this in my mind is like, wow, there's this dream zone that my sister and I got plucked for like a year <laughs> I mean it was the happiest time ever like the bus ride there was so fucking awesome I mean yeah, everybody was singing and couldn't wait to get there and oh yeah like it was it was just pure energy yep I learned some of my best songs that I still sing to this day <clears throat> so what what were what was the camp song on the way in the bus well, you know, they're not politically correct anymore. We were kids. I don't know how the count. There was always like a, counts- a camp counselor that would like ride <laughs> from the neighborhood that you, you know, each of us yeah. were from or whatever. And so mostly they were like the really awesome songs like um, the bear one, you know, the other day, the other day I saw a bear. I saw a bear, a great big bear. Oh, you know yeah. oh my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, of course, before anything came up with civil rights and, you know, gay rights and this, that, and the other, which, you know, totally different discussion for another day. But uh, during the 80s and 90s, unfortunately, a lot of kids used all kinds of slang and, and different words that, you know, we weren't, we didn't think of it as what it really means today. And we, we certainly didn't mean it in a derogatory sense, but <laughs> we would say, like, we're here because we're queer. Because oh my god, it was a song. <laughs> like yell, like forty kids on a bus down the highway screaming, "We're yeah. here because we're queer." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot yeah. about that. And man, you could stand up on the buses in those oh, days. Oh yeah, dude. It was no seatbelt. I mean, it was a free for all. It was awesome. Yeah, and the bus driver probably wasn't qualified with a C license at all. It was just like a free for all. Like whoever, who wants to drive? <laughs> I mean, zero rules in effect. What, was, what was, was the other one? Was it from that time where we to is like, um, ask me no more questions, tell me no lies, or what the heck was that one? It was like all swear, all swear words that turned into regular words. Right in the next couple of years, I started Ski Club. Again, have no idea how, but um, Dr. Like, Dirty and things he, were he like... Bit it, it's like it say stuff like, bit him in the cocktail, ginger ale, five cents a glass. If you don't like it, <laughs> you, you can kiss my ass, me no more questions, tell me no more lies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miss Susie had a steamboat. Yeah. Steamboat had a bell. Miss Susie went to heaven. Steamboat mm-hmm. went to hello, operator. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so it was like a bunch of songs that were like, we're getting taught how to swear, but we were actually swearing, so it's okay. No, <laughs> oh, what yep. a fucked up. We're here because we're queer, Jesus. I know. Oh. Uh, who, why, or how, I have no idea. We certainly didn't mean gay. 
God knows what it meant. You know, well, no, I, I think, think it's just, isn't queer we're a bunch of nerds. Isn't queer actually like happy? Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong on that one. <laughs> anyway, it was super inappropriate. Either way, it's it's strange or odd. So we were all strange or odd. Yes. <laughs> Which we were. This is very true. <clears throat> um, now, so yeah. do, you actually, do you remember anybody from Cancerdoma? Because I, I really don't. I, I think I remember just like, gonna maybe say this that. one girl, Dawn, ended up being like gross later in life. <laughs> so I was and, just uh, going to say, I don't remember anybody else. And I've brought this up to people. I'm like, oh, yeah, Cancerdoma. I don't remember anybody else we know today that knew what I was talking about. Same. So I don't. It was for privileged kids for sure. I don't know. Was it, it privilege or was it boys and girls club style? Where like that's more niche and who goes there? Like I think it's the opposite. I don't think it was privileged in money terms. I think it was privileged in like um, special programs and like get kids special, special interests. Yeah, like yeah. because and it was in Kirkwood. I think there was it was kids pulled from. Were situations county. in the whole county that got to go, and it was part of the church, you know, trying to put these kids in good places because there was some dodgy people I remember being there, but I also don't remember another soul that we grew up with as our friends that ever heard of the place. Yeah, no, I don't have one living person. I actually, the only <clears throat> people that I, you know, slightly remember then knowing later in life were like either Binghamton or Seton kids. Um, yeah, so yeah, strange. nobody really from, from Johnson City or that we, in our close group. And that's probably why I put it in that category of like a dream state of mine because I felt like I, the only people that went to or knew about it were me and you. <laughs> and I was like, maybe we didn't go to it. Yeah, we did, and it's real, and it's still there. And really, honestly, like I've always wanted to, there were parts of me throughout my life that felt like someday I would go back and like buy that camp like that would be an absolute dream to like own and run a camp like that because it was the best and also thinking about like taking that into the future of like adult camp trips like could you imagine if like we all like if 250 adults our age went to camp for two weeks and did everything we did when we were like eight and ten that would be like amazing well I do I definitely think this is I'm honest to God I thought this place would have been I thought it was like a, a fluke for a while. Like, I thought it would be closed. No. I can't believe it's still open. What a great place. I think it should be – it would be cool if there was more of these type places for um, – for especially for our, our area where we grew up because, man, there is there is very little activity things to do where we grew up. There's plenty of, like, trouble to get in and bars at every corner. But there's not, like – there's not, like, a lot – like, this this one place – Talk about archery and canoeing, the word how to horseback riding. There's things that like you don't even know exist in that area. Yeah, um, only people that grow up in like Missouri <laughs> and Montana and Oregon like grow up super like cool. That. Yeah, it was awesome. So that that that's my my first, you know, be, besides kind of running running the game and the whole the hustle game. My first hustle with the golf ball games, stealing pretty much and selling golf balls back to the public. Um, and using that money to kind of be a little gangster in the neighborhood, like that—that that was my first hustle moment. But my first uh, kind of enjoyable memories was Camp Saratoma, and it, yeah. it kind of felt like it lasted a lot longer than it was. It felt like it was the whole year, even though it was the summer of those two years. Yeah, I mean, summers lasted forever in those days. Thank God so for good. that. So good. Now, do you remember playing manhunt at all, like in the streets by Dad's house? Were you a part of any of that? And, oh, like, yeah. a little bit older, even when we didn't live there? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, that to me was some of the best times of our life, too, because one, I mean, it's a complete, it was a completely different culture than, you know, it is now, where if you were, like, hiding in someone's backyard right now, it could oh, be, my like, God. A, a meth dealer, or you could get shot or something. <laughs> but, like, in those days, literally... There was, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 kids, and we would all, like, our, our front porch would be the safe zone, yep. and we'd all scatter into, you know, a five to ten block area, and literally people yep. could be anywhere, and we just ran through backyards and driveways and up on people's porches, and Pretty crazy. Everybody, knew, everybody knew everybody, and there was kids everywhere. I mean, it was, it was different. 
we were outside at night during the summer having the time of our lives. And every, every, any and every nook and cranny was open. Like you wouldn't yes. think twice about hiding in somebody's dodgy little garage where you might be able to get abducted pretty easily, but it's just not something you ever thought about. It's like, that's a good hiding spot. I'll stay here. Right. Um, but it was also for us guys, it was, uh, I remember manhunt was the first like easy pickup line way to have a girl hide with you for have a moment with a girl. Oh. Like, Hey, I got a really good hiding spot. We'll never get caught. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And then, of course, I mean, the bike riding years. I mean, did you have a blast on your bike like I did? I mean, I had some of the best times of my life on my bicycle. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was Ely still for me. I mean, that was um, that was early Ely. That was pegs on bikes. You know, oh, peg, peg, peg standards and yeah. freestyle bikes. Yeah, oh. pegs in the front, pegs in the back. Do you remember a bike that we got that was pretty much both fars? Uh, some well, that's point what you other. saw. No, no. I, well, I rode it more, so it was both for us. It was a blue dyno with white wheels and white pegs. It was a BMX blue dyno. Yeah. Yeah. Louise had, like, four, like, four family members had to go in on this bike. Yeah, it was the sickest bike ever. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was also, it was also uh, more con- contention because it had pegs on the front and the back, so you it wasn't just a bike. It was like a transport vehicle for mine and my friends or your and your friends. So it was like, yo, I'm going to need the whip today. Like, it's it, <laughs> like that was the car. It was like sharing a vehicle. Listen, I rode Jen McMullen around that entire town for <laughs> probably two years straight like we were driving to parties. I mean, we would ride this bike somewhere. She'd be on the peg standers holding my shoulders. I'd be pedaling. We'd get, like, within a block of our destination, hide the bike, and then walk in like we drove there when we were, like, you know, 12, 13. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, best times of our life. The transporter. That thing brought you anywhere. So, a li- little off the fun topic, um, one other very, very big moment, which I don't even know the effects of, and probably will never know, is... Um, Mom was driving myself to Dad's almost every morning so that before work to get dropped off at Dad's because we were in the school district so I can go to school from there. Yep. Catch the bus. Well, Mom had just switched. The last year we lived at Ely, so just switched from that big black Buick to the the gray Honda Civic, the four-door little guy. No, it was a um, it was a light blue Mazda. Uh, oh, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. You're right. The gray Civic, yep. and then the blue Mazda right, so five two five or six two six with the sunroof. Because I used to right. steal that and drive all the way to Greenwood Park as fast as I could and back when I was pretending to pick up the laundry. <laughs> right. So we had she had the gray one. It was a, a boxier Honda. Yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't have it for long because we got in a massive accident. She oh, yeah, driving. didn't you, didn't your face rock a cake or something? Well, no, so I was, <clears throat> I was in the front seat, like I was in, and I was holding a cake that mom had made she was bringing to work. Yes. And I didn't have my seatbelt on, um, and she, I, I can't, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unclear, but we were- It was dr- on the way to Burbank. It was on through the way the, up the hill to Burbank. Yeah, Before the we cross over to go yep. to dad's house. We're almost at dad's, and oh, the cake started to slide. That's what it was. Cake started to slide my lap because I'm not paying attention. Mom goes to go for it. Well, her other arm pulls the wheel. We cross traffic, which there's no traffic. It's, you know, those small roads. But we yeah. cross, and she slam. By the time she gets, we slam dead into a telephone pole. Yes. Total the car. I go right through the windshield almost. Like, I smash the windshield, the whole right side's. A big head mark for my fat head. <clears throat> um, glass all in my head. Like I had pieces of glass were picking out forever. Through my whole forehead and the top of my head. Cake everywhere. Poor baby. Um, You're and, covered in cake. Yeah, and that's... that's I, I don't... I, I remember the moments leading up to the accident. I remember... The next thing I remember is pulling glass out of my forehead... 
even after I, was, I left the hospital, which I don't remember much of the hospital, I, I remember a week after or so, like, I can, I can, like, pick pieces of glass out of my skin. Um, you were so traumatized, <clears throat> my sweetheart. And it was, it was pretty, that was pretty fucked up time for me, because I don't, I don't. probably the only accident you'd been in, I mean, ever. That was, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was, I mean, again, I don't know how old I'm, nine? I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably. Right Somewhere around, around there. there. Um, <clears throat> and that was going to dad's. And I don't remember really a lot right after that, which was kind of weird. Like, I don't remember. I don't know. It's just weird. I remember leading up to it. I remember the mornings with mom driving to work a lot. Like, I mean, to dad's a lot and get dropped off. I remember those things clear. And then that accident happened. Things started getting a little <clears throat> gray again. Don't remember right after it. Don't remember. Well, so let me, okay, so let me interject a little bit. Number one, I want to bring up that, ironically, about the location where that accident occurred for you guys is almost exactly the same location as when I was four years old. You weren't born yet. Mom was taking me and Brooke Willis to dance. Her and Dad were together, and she was they were very good friends with Mark Willis and his wife, Bridget, and they had my friend Brooke Willis and um, I think her little brother, I think Ryan at the time. And Well, maybe Ryan actually wasn't born yet, but Brooke and I were both four years old, and Mom was going to take us to dance class um, at, like, Miss Marie's or Miss Eileen's, I can't remember at the time. And we're four years old. And again, remember, times are very, very different back then. Regulations, things, they didn't have like, I mean, they might have had baby car seats, but like it wasn't mandatory that a kid was in them. Seatbelt laws weren't in effect. Things were just much more casual. And the cars, like we described that freaking Chrysler Baron, were like still made of steel and they were huge and everybody drove like a boat. And at this time, when I was four, mom had a lavender Cadillac. It was beautiful. And my dad must have just bought it for her or something. And um, we're leaving Brooks, and we pull out of that same one of those little dead-end side streets right there, almost exactly where you hit the pole. And Brooke and I are four years old, so we're super short, right? We're standing on, we're standing on the front seat while my mom is driving. She hasn't really left the neighborhood yet. We're just pulling up her street to the intersection. A freaking city bus swerves into us and pushes her straight up a telephone pole. Uh, I remember I, hearing that story. Yeah, my freaking eye, my eye got jammed up straight in the, um, the, the, what do you call it when you change gears, that thing, on an automatic vehicle, the gear shift, yeah. that used to be on the steering yeah, wheel, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it was giant, it was like a freaking baton, and my eye went right into that. And Brooke's leg got broken, and we had to get rushed to the hospital. But the only reason I remember that just now is because it was almost the exact intersection years later that you and her got in the accident. And that's the only accident I had ever been in. So that's just weird that. that it was the same neighborhood. And I, when I got – so instead of going to the hospital – maybe I did go to the hospital. I don't remember. They definitely obviously took Brooke to the hospital because she broke her leg. But – they freaking put a steak on my eye. I was four years old. I'll never forget that to this day. Grandma Midwinter put a raw steak on my face. I was like, that's disgusting. But it was so cold and, like, good. Ew. So bad. Which, it's, a little side cap on that is, like, today, that's a major lawsuit against the city. Oh, yeah. Right? And back then it was like, yo, it's an accident. Right. Well, and we were four weird. years old. What were we doing standing up on the front seat? No, no, no. I know, but it didn't matter because that's the rules weren't the same, so it wouldn't matter. Everybody yeah. stands up. My point is, it would have been immediate. Like, let's sue the city now. And back then, it was like, yo, you guys got in an accident. Glad everybody's alive. Just a strange actually, observation of. Actually, you know what? This is bringing up another memory for me, and we haven't touched on this at all. And I don't know if this was all before you were born or if this was still a few years like during those good years that we talked about like Willow Street and up to the through Ethel but do you remember going camping with mom and dad at all and like a whole group of their friends never you sent me a picture and I I, I don't so, like a zero so, recollection 
So there was like 12 families, like literally the Yankoskis, um, uh, the, the, the whites, the Willises. Um, I mean, mom and dad had a huge group of friends that all got married around the same time. I'm not sure if the Monaco twin girls or, um, I can't remember all of who was on these particular camping trips. We used to go to Frozen Rocks, I think, which was in Green and some other place. And this was a yearly event. And we went several times. And the reason I just remembered this, I can't believe I completely blacked this out, is because they would stick all of us kids in the back of the truck. And again, that was like totally fine. <laughs> like for an hour camping trip, like, let's go, we're all going camping. All the kids would get the pile in the back of a truck, no seatbelts, no nothing. And we'd camp for days. Bob Tokowitz. Yeah, like I don't remember. Of, like, here's here's crazy. I met a lot of people that you probably already knew that were in our lives and that were in our lives. I met a lot of those people for the first, really the first time they looked like strangers to me when Dad died. Like yeah, when that's Dad right. when Dad <laughs> died, and a lot of people came up to me and were like, "Oh, we were best friends. I remember when you were little. You used to go with." And I'm looking at this person like, dude, I don't even know you, bro. And yeah, and. They were there for years of our lives, and I just don't – I can't even, like, look at their face and have any recollection of them as a human being, which was when I knew when I knew that I had blocked, obviously, my childhood out because these people are like, yo, I'm your dad's best friend. I'm like, yo, I've never even met you, dude, so obviously you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, in all honesty, and this is, this is the interesting thing about you and I and how how – a huge part of our probably inability to know how to communicate for so many years during our adolescence is because we processed the world so differently. You and and I have friends like this to this day that are the exact same way that like for years we've been going out for decades just, you know, doing our thing over the years when we would get together. These people, I swear to God, they're like deaf, dumb, and blind. They don't see anything. They don't. We could, we could have left the same exact situation, whether we're out seeing music or at a party or at a shower, or whatever. We could come home after. We could have both been there, standing next to one another, exposed to all the same things for four hours. And when we talk about it at the end of the night, they're like, "Oh, I didn't see that person. Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, I didn't." I, like we were at two different places, and I think that you and I have interfaced on this subject matter a ton of times where like you and it makes sense because now when I and I know we'll get there but when I think about like when dad died how differently we processed our emotions around it and different things it was so so different but I don't think we had a real understanding until we've started to have these conversations of how differently we process all the information like you said all these people that truly actually were around for decades like on a regular basis that you act like, you know, 20 years in, you just met him for the first time. I, on the other hand, you know, thinking, uh, you know, the crazy huh. person that, you know, people thought I was or whatever, I, like... No, you were emotionally attached to them. Oh, my God. I, I was I, super emotional. I was annoyed. I was annoyed. I created a whole story about that they were all much closer and much better friends and much, like... I thought that that's why I think I was so disappointed in the world that I really thought like all these people mattered. I memorized and knew every single person's name. I knew all their kids' names, who they were married to, yeah, every see. time I ever saw them, what their houses looked like. And so when I grew up and I was just <clears> like, oh, it's not even like that. I don't yeah, know. It was, I, it, we, it, we, it, the it point is, is we processed information very, very differently. And I, who knows why? Well, look here, I can tell you, I can tell you why. So, the, the stuff that we're doing today, fast forward all the way today, is helping me understand all this stuff and then obviously got me to the point where I'm ready to dive into this project is the stuff we're doing with the brain today with the EEG and the tracking the left and right brain and learning all that stuff is the brain does. I mean, you and I prioritized the information that was coming through our eyesight very differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though, even though we were six years apart, that's one thing, but the years we were both alive together, I prioritized things differently. So the brain works and billions of signals are coming through the eye of the pupil, right? So if you're driving to work the first day ever, you're like taking in a lot of stuff. You're taking in the way to get there, the street, the right turn. Um, there's a McDonald's on the right. It's, you know, 10 miles, billions of stuff. 
and your brain, what it does is file it all at, at like a hyper fast pace, right? It's taking all these signals and flushing out the stuff that's not prioritizing your brain and dumping it. So tomorrow, if I asked you, hey, you know that one uh, cemetery in the way, you're like, never saw it. Because it's not priority to you, not because you didn't see it. So the brain flushes it and deletes it. Whereas something else is prioritized to you. So it's the same way we also drive to work for 20 years and don't know that we can get to work and feel like we were sleeping the whole time. It's a very unconscious state. So I, I obviously at some point unknowingly prioritized the importance of what I wanted to see and listen to. Yeah. And so did you. So now yeah. us telling our story back, if we told it in two separate rooms and wrote the whole thing out, our stories might sound like me and you were not brother and sister and weren't in the same town. Sure. And that's why I want to do this and you're, you're on so many is because it can't be, I don't think anybody's story can be told by them alone because they'll leave out things that they may not even know were happening or that they want to leave out and some intentional. So I think it's important when you tell your story of your life that somebody else involved is either involved helping you piece things through and or is just there talking it through with you to really understand what's happening. I I think a life without witness is uh, possibly doesn't exist. Um, You have to have witness. Otherwise, you live inside of a vacuum. People who, that's what happens with that whole like isolation thing. You know, when people isolate from others and, and they have no witness there, then they can be, they can create any reality they want, whether that's suicidal yes. or depression or whatever, or split or the personality, they're like, or they're the king of everything. But when you have witness, you keep grounded and you keep perspective and you yeah. keep mirror and you keep, you know, but it's really Hundred. interesting to me that the brain is capable of all these different things. And you and I both have always, even on our separate paths, really taken to, you know, how the brain works and functions. And I just think it's, we are kind of the perfect example to have these kinds of conversations because we did have the same family. We did know most of the same people. We did grow up in a fairly small town. We threw a degree of separation. And now that we're older, we really realize how small it is. And really one way or the other, we know almost everyone or something about everyone on some level. Um, but how we perceived it was different. And I really think that's interesting um, because, you know, why was I emotionally attached? Was it because I was born into a world of adults and spent more of my time around adults than children until you came around and then it became more families and other children and other kinds of things? Was it because of the, you know, cannabinoids and, and neurotransmitters in our brain and just the way that they filed and or forgot information or helped us to self-soothe was it you know dysfunction and attachment disorders because I thought people were going to leave so I was more attached to the people I thought were important like there's so many interesting nuances about just this conversation alone well yeah that's the and the big question at the end of all this is for me I already know is going to be because I know my mind works is when we're all done with this and we catch up the present time in this podcast my question's going to be, knowing all this, digging back, understanding who I am in the clearest way I could possibly think, being wide open, honest, vulnerable, having witness to the story, um, witnesses to the story, um, to hold me accountable. My question's going to be, now, what do I do with it? Can I, well, even at my state, can I take it on to the next generation and, and refine the process because nobody nobody will ever get it perfect. You cannot. There's so many variables to a human being. It doesn't matter. How there's no good parenting, about, bad parenting. It's it's yeah, just parenting. About, yeah. How about a forest full of trees? I mean, how many deviations in the same type of tree are there? Like this is just another form of life, exactly. And how important is it really? And back to our conversation a couple podcasts ago, I really believe that at the end of it, the the answer to the question is simply. How do we free our hearts to be more of service, more at peace, and have the, the best life possible sooner for, for the next generation so that they don't have to be, you know, now, okay, so the generation before us had to wait till they were 50 to, like, wake up to anything. And then 
now, you know, we can do it in our 30s and 20s, and maybe the, the next generation, because of this type of work and these kinds of conversations and these kinds of vulnerable platforms, um, you know, it can be taught in elementary schools so that people have coping skills and understand that everything's not a big deal and what doesn't kill you does make you stronger. When you're on your knees begging God, it's just a moment, and when it passes, you realize you're stronger than you thought, and all the things well you at the end of the day it's just you though the point is it is you you have the control one way or the other you can lose right. control or you can take control um, and our past and vocabulary our that. past uh podcast guest on our combine podcast good friend of mine sean foy is super deep thinker great golf coach but more of a, a just a human thinker <clears throat> you listen to this i had you send it over but you know a lot of the way he thinks is talking about like yo the only perception of you is the one you have of yourself, period. Nobody else can control uh, uh, what that is. You know, right. fear, uh, hate, haters, anything like that. Nobody else can control it besides you. If you, if you go down that path and, and feed into it, then you're, just cre- you're creating that feeling of, of not, you know, no self-worth or guilt or maybe am I good enough. But it's all in your head. Right. And, and nothing's and really happening. And we've discussed that before, and you're right. Sean really touched on that, and I, I loved listening to that podcast. I thought that was just an awesome conversation. I think he's an awesome guy. I thought what was really interesting about it is that he kind of grew up a little bit more privileged, a little bit more. He, he may not have completely seen it like that, but when you really compare demographics of how he grew up, he grew up with a little bit more advantage and um you know, you probably could have predicted that he could have had, you know, this type of life and or career, um, although he did the work on his own. But I love that he's in the same place that we are when it really comes down to it. And, and that's, again, we are just, if, if, if in fact we're the projected holographic universe and we are alone in a room, every single person we've ever met, every single interaction we've ever had, every experience we've ever experienced was simply us having a meeting with a part of ourselves. whether that was a part of ourselves, If it's the haters, it was the part of ourselves that, like you said, doesn't love ourselves or is judging ourselves or believes something that, you know, is being projected negatively and or people that we meet that blow our minds that we're inspired by is a part of ourselves that is our pure potentiality. So, so let me, so let me t- touch on a, exactly let me touch on a thing too. So he works, uh, pretty closely with uh, focus band stuff we use for the brain with some of his clients and, and he actually uses the guy that was part of creating it that comes let's, in as let's players just but expand for the viewers exactly what focus band is because it, I know it, it is it, it's just it's just super simple uh, it's reading brain waves uh, EEG just like in the hospitals now it's just wireless and we we have access to it for sport um, doesn't change what we're reading it's just frequency from the left brain or our brains admit frequency levels this can pick it up um in sensors that you wear on your forehead so now we have a wireless version so you don't go get strapped in at the hospital same technology same thing um and then you can put this on a person and you can just see what they're doing like if they're playing a game of golf or if they're just anything playing guitar like me or whatever if you and i are having this conversation what's going on yeah yeah. we're having this conversation what's going on in our brain while we're talking yeah and only from a, a a frequency level and then obviously you have to know about the brain to understanding different frequencies. Low frequency in left brain versus low frequency in right brain. Or low in and left versus ideal? high in right. What's I, is there like an ideal in our brain frequency that helps us to function best that, it, that science supports on this focus band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh, in, in the sport world, we're just looking at being able to control going from one to the other because you use both. You want to be using both at all times. That's how your brain works. That's why there's two sides. But your left brain is taking in information, processing, data control, seeing what's important, filing. And then right side is more performance state. Cream of the crop, whatever you're good at rises up. Performance states, motion, getting in your, your highest form of state. So maybe in yoga or in, no matter what you do, right? In a sales call, you're locked in. Any of that. But knowing when to get back and forth. So when you go to perform, you don't fuck up or you don't get nervous or get anxiety or or trip over yourself even though you're the smartest person in the room uh ei ei how public speaking is so difficult for people it's it's difficult for people because 
the left brain is getting in front of the right brain. The people okay, projecting can- on them, right? They're looking at them. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're trying to think through the information we're about to provide. So it comes out choppy. Anxiety comes up. Blood pressure rises. That, that's how those things happen. So the focus band, when you work with a client and you put the focus band on them, after you kind of see what their normal is, then what you do is you give them skill sets to yeah. practice using their brain best to perform optimally no matter what they're doing. A hundred percent. So, it's, And really, this would be good for everyone, even at the elementary school level, but we only really use it in high performance and or a yeah. hospital emergency situation at this point in history. Well, yeah, because we start in high performance. Well, yeah, emergency is the one, right? But we start in high performance because we always look to the high performance in anything we do and go, hey, let me follow their strategies and their work ethic and their skills. What do you... You look at a business guy that's a billionaire, like, oh, what do you do in the first thing in the morning? What do you eat? And then everybody thinks you just eat that and you're good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> dude, you can study a businessman and you can ask him how much does he sleep or, oh, entrepreneurs have to sleep four hours or you're behind or you, can, you have to eat this in the morning or take cold showers. Yeah, great. Those are These are outliers that kind of help the things for these people to keep motivated and keep going, but... The real things are the myelin patterns that go through our body and our brain sending signals that literally like that, like burn that into place as a, as a must for you now. Like it's part so of that your, is, So that's the path of least resistance in your brain. You're always going to go to the path that is <clears throat> most comfortable and easy for you without thinking unconsciously. Right, right. But that's also why I say uh, misery loves company. It's like the easiest path to be miserable because it takes no effort from you. Whereas you can reverse that on yourself and say, I'm going to burn in my own new neural pathways and make the path path of least resistance the best one. Right. So we're giving you tools to train you to use your brain on and off, left and right, on command. So on that subject matter, you were going to actually say something about Sean in relation to his work with the focus band? So I just, I think, you know, he's using that too, but... Um, you know, what I think the focus band where it comes in is it's not just a, a sport level thing we use it for. I'm opening up into actually working with um, Fairmont Hotels, like a big strategic thing where I'm going to work with managers so they can work better with their teams. So it's like more like how do you connect with your team and understand how they connect with you better by being on the same frequency, right? So right. What, what Sean said early on in one of the podcasts too was, hey, and he kind of left it with this. I mean, he, he's such a deep thinker. I was like, oh, thanks a lot. We're ending the podcast. And he says something <laughs> like, well, it's like when you touch somebody, but really we're not touching you. I'm touching you, but I'm not. <laughs> like we're all matter. We're all things. Because we're really and, just transferring energy. Right, right. Away. So, but it's, it's you know, that, that's, cool. an, that's an Einsteinian theory. Yeah, yeah. That so, we're all just molecules. But the point is it it, it is – it is a flow. We call it a flow in the brain. And, and what we're trying to do is have you understand what it feels like to be a high performer instead of tell you what it's like to be a high performer. And the only way you can feel is if you get in the right state of mind. And a lot of words are thrown around like awareness and state of mind and mindset. Great. But the problem with the mind is you can't see the muscle grow. You can't look in the mirror and be like, yeah, my, my brain's getting bigger. <laughs> So you have no motivation to continue it because once something goes bad, the brain goes, oh, we must have fucked it up. Right. It gives you the negative feedback. So we're not willing to train it at a long-term level to see. Right. And and like anything that we've found in life, it takes practice. I can't will myself to be a concert pianist. So in in order, and another thing that we both understand that maybe, you know, the the general public doesn't understand is that everything right down to the neuropathways in our brain is based on muscle memory. And that's even the tiniest muscles inside of our brain and in our body and everything. So when we do something repetitively, whether that is learn to play the concert piano, whether that is learn to swing a golf club correctly, whether that is just like you said, just learning how to communicate even better with the people around us, that takes practice because right. the more we the more we practice it, then 
it becomes an unconscious effort. Right. We no longer have to think it or will it into place because we've practiced it so many times. Now, each cell in our body actually remembers and then repeats the thing that we have practiced right. on its own and our entire life becomes easier no matter what our practice is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so, it's amazing. so the full loop with, to that was, <clears throat> why I started that was because I think what we're doing right now with this project is part of clearing the brain's platform, almost uh, clearing the palate, if you will, taking a piece of ginger in between sushi pieces to Mm, clear your palate to start afresh. I think the journey backwards is is a scary one. A lot of people don't like to talk about things they don't want to talk about. I've already had these off-podcast conversations with upcoming guests of being worried about things coming up. And I completely understand it, respect it. There's going to be things that will not be shared in this podcast out of respect for their journey and the time they're in. But my goal is hopefully that some some of these guests will pull out and will bring out some stuff that they've been hesitant to bring out. Because the full freedom in clearing the palate is to be able to say everything free, let the brain bring it up to the frontal lobe and wash it clean. So it doesn't. Yes. So it doesn't come sneaking up on you when it's least expected. When you're getting an argument with your wife or your kids get out of line, and that thing comes shooting up to the front, and you you lose. Yes. Because that's and, what it does. And, and to bring it full circle, and this is this is the coolest part is that we're we're living this practice for everyone else to see. And so back to what started this conversation was how we processed information in the same family completely differently. And so Correct. my question, my question at this point is, so based on what you were saying about, you know, the left and right brain, the left is, is taking in and filing and processing knowledge and the right brain is performing and role playing and this whole thing. Right. And this kind of more creative, um, um, you know, point um, where it's coming from. So that kind of explains a lot of, again, why we weren't able to communicate effectively as adolescents when we didn't have this knowledge, we didn't have the skills or or um, any vocabulary even to put to it, that maybe simply you were working from your left brain most of your life where you were hmm. simply like a businessman filing in the knowledge and not really becoming emotionally attached where I was living more in the right brain on a regular basis and dramatically role-playing a story, you know, that then my emotions became attached to, whereas neither one of us was really living in that middle flow where we could really communicate and understand each other's perspective. I I, I 100%, I'm totally on on with that. And I I think part of this... Like, I'll give you an example. So Brandon and uh, Ashley's daughter, right? So yes. Brandon and Clary. So listen. Amazing. Brilliant yeah. angel. But you know what people love to say? I always like to say, oh, your kid's so smart and they're so brilliant and they're like an adult ahead of their years. Look, it comes down to this. My point of this whole project for me is going to be why I wanted to get in this is because no matter where you come from, what your story is or what you didn't have or had – I think everybody, I believe, until I get proven wrong, I believe the human brain in anybody's skull is capable of doing anything if it's triggered and tapped correctly. I believe that their daughter is the brilliant person mirror we see today is because how Ashley has handled that as a human being. She's handled her daughter as a human like an adult. She's triggered things and treated her a certain way and, and nurtured that so that that brain sponges up and this becomes a super empathetic little adult-like little woman, you know, when she's <laughs> yeah. four. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because she's, so she's awesome. fully tapped into and, and, and paid attention to in a way. And I, I think, one, that's massively important when you're a young child. I think, two, just because you didn't have it as a young child does not mean you can't develop it. And cultivate it, right? So it's the stories we tell ourselves. You told yourself a story. I told myself a story. We're we're two adults now, <laughs> living our life, and maybe took the long route. But the point is, it's not. It's it's all within you. We keep on saying 
whatever you feel is remember it's your feeling it's your feeling thoughts are things exactly they bounce off somebody else yeah they bounce off somebody else and come back to you and you're like oh my god that person feels that way about me too it's not true (laughs) it's not true because you don't know that right so i I think the the whole more of this story is running back amber and i have a very different story of our lives and not because we're separated by years but because we prioritized the information being taken in visually uh, emotionally trying to understand context of being a child and we kind of lived in an adult world you know both of us because our parents weren't even fucking adults you know what I mean Uh, so I really do think it's a crapshoot in how kids grow up but I do think with some of this information one going back as an adult doing stuff like this really opens up a massive part of your brain and possibilities of what you can create uh, for yourself. And then two, at a young age, if I have kids or you have kids someday, it's like, man, what can we really seep into that sponge at an early age? Not to say, oh, you can't, you should do this. Don't do my mistakes. Cause that's not a of way of course. teaching. It just letting this information soak in so they can hear vocabulary, understanding high forms of uh, understanding humans around them. That's key, I think. And we never had that. We never had that young. No, it was, you know, I mean, partially it was the times, partially it was ignorance, partially it was, um, you know, financial demographics, all all kinds of things, uh, karmic um, lifetime, you know, stuff, uh, so many different things. But the, the point exactly to your point is that we are capable of anything at any moment in time if tomorrow either one of us wanted to start working at cbs full-time and have a blue mohawk we could become a completely different person and 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 that pretty is sick life no matter and, and no matter what we would decide um and that same as going you know you and i both share a belief and and not out of ego at all out of experience base that you know we could go anywhere and do anything and do it well because we believe it it's not because we actually have the skill set to do any one thing over the other. It's because we believe it's possible. And so I, I believe first- I believe right now. So I'm gonna. I was just about to say I'm 38 years old, and I believe the best years are ahead of me by a fucking long shot because I've never Absolutely. been more clear in my mind. But guess what? I'm not even 38. This is how fucked up I prioritize my brain. I'm 39. <laughs> I turned 39 this year, and I fucking forgot. Uh, because it happens more and more as you well, get older. Well, it's not, it's not that I forgot. I know my birthday. It's just it's I don't, irrelevant. Uh, it's irrelevant in my head. You know, right. I, I was riding with a client the other day, and we, we got in an age conversation. She said, um, I go, well, how, she, well, her birthday's coming up. I go, oh, cool. How old are you going to be? She's like 27. I'm like, oh, you're not that much younger than me. And she goes, <laughs> yeah, what are you like? Th- you, how old are you, 31? I go, no, you're, try again. You're thinking, she goes, yeah. She goes, <laughs> I go, try again. She goes, 30. I go, no, older. She goes, 33. I go, you really don't know how old I am? And she goes, no. I go, I'm 38, which I, I was a lie again because I just, <laughs> I keep saying 38. Like, I'm, I'm not going to move up anymore. 38 uh, is a great year. But she goes, no fucking way. You don't wear it like that. Not, she wasn't even saying it as a compliment, oh, you look good. It yeah, wasn't, of it course. Wasn't, it was like, Huh? The way you talk, the way you act, the way you are. And I think it's because of the way, it literally is the way I am, the energy I put off and put into life every day. I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting older. I think that's important in your brain to never keep on saying, oh, I'm getting older. You know, that's what you do. You just, you know, you get older and you get fat or you get older and you get lazy or, you know, yeah. I'm older now. Wait till you get my age and you can't move. Well, you can't move because you don't do shit, you lazy fuck. Because you're yeah. you Again, another podcast, but thoughts are fucking things. Create disease. Don't be an idiot. So, right. long story Knowledge short, at our age, I believe this about myself more than I ever have in my life. I'm doing this podcast project. I'm writing music for the first time in my life, which rewind way back awesome. in elementary school. I loved writing poetry. I loved writing rhymes. I loved writing. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to do that again. And I do believe... And I think you believe this too. You can say if you don't. But I believe uh, you're about to peak 
in the best time of your life because I know a lot of things are coming down the funnel and I think it's going to be a I'm not even talking about a financial or successful what people term yeah, I, I, I think from a yeah, literal yeah. explosion of a climax of a moment I think you're about to hit it and I think it's exciting to know it is exciting to know and it's there's a freedom that I've never felt before in this chapter of my life in the last you know you know, five to eight years or so that I've come to these same kinds of things that probably started around 38 for me too. And, um, maybe, maybe a little bit younger than that, but you know, the main principles for me that I hear myself repeating and that in my own personal affirmations daily, get me through every day and really help to keep the chains off me that I felt bound by throughout most of my childhood and adolescence is exactly what we're talking about here. One, knowledge is power, okay? The more the more I know, the better I can really, you know, filter what is coming in, okay? Number two, that practice is the only way to make things easier, even though at first it seems hard, whether that's learning the concert piano or going back to the gym. The more I do it, the easier it gets. Yep. Number th- number three, a huge one for me is detaching from outcome. Yep. I spent so much time in my life so concerned with every move I made having to end in a specific controlled outcome that I thought I could predict and control. And when I relinquished control of outcome and truly, truly lived, started to live in the now, that lifted so much pressure and so much pain and so much confinement off of my human body mm. that I, I can't help but share it with every single person I come in contact with. And then the, the, the last piece of that, um, other than throw love at everything, is gratitude. Constant yeah. gratitude. Because yeah. no matter, like we were talking about, no matter what we thought it was or how bad we thought it was or how bad it may have even been in moments we still had first world problems we weren't up to our ears in shit and dysentery we weren't having our legs bombed off we weren't being oppressed as a sect group of people that you know were were being uh you know alienated and and prejudiced um you know we had ice cream trucks and freedom and bicycles and laughter oh america hot dogs and more than anything, and more than anything, we truly had a, we did have a kind of a clean slate to become exactly this, anything yeah, yeah. we want. Anything. So. And it's freaking awesome. I will. Uh, so, I'm I'm super looking forward to getting into. We had a little bit of a pre-talk. I told all the listeners we don't talk about any of this before. We had a little bit of a pre-talk conversation um, the other day, my sister and I, on a week off, but I'm. I'm I'm a little more excited to get into the, the the dirty gritty stuff because I think that's where learning happens. I love as Amber knows, and we've done this many times. We go home and get to with our friends. It's like gut laughing. Everybody's dying because they're picking on each other, and the stories are so fucked up. It's like, how do we even get through? But that's all the good stuff, and it's good times. We laugh about, it and everybody's willing to talk about those. It's the other stuff that nobody's willing to talk about. I'm. I'm pretty intrigued by, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. We're going to start moving into some areas that are a little more uncomfortable um, the next podcast or so. I'm probably going to bring on Marco for this next one to introduce him during this time because it's when I met him. Awesome. And then when I have Amber back on, we're going to, we're going to jump into some a little more uncomfortable things, but um, huge for our growth uh, as siblings, one. And, and I think it'll be huge for yours. I've already had some calls privately from friends I grew up with uh, asking me some pretty uh, deep questions. Um, so that's, yeah, and, that's the and, point. And I am so in line with that. And really it's the, it's the best time, you know, there's no better time than the present ever. Right. Um, and I'm just so happy the present is this um, because the truth is, is that we're finally safe from it. Now, yep. now these really are just stories. They're not things that we're afraid that will bury us or that will unlock something in us that we can't recover from. We're, we're on the other side of it. And um, 
really truly these next stories and and the things that are a little more painful and a little more gritty and a little more real and about cancer and death and life and heartbreak and fights and all that you know what that is the place where i learned compassion because truly i would have i would have thought about myself and and i think that you feel the same way that if we're talking about core values and what are core values, core values are like the things that we value at our core the most, respect, integrity, right? These things that we think we are already. I I truly believe that compassionate, I don't even think I knew what the word compassion was and I'm excited for these next chapters because I thought that compassion was a word that just obviously, it's a good word, that of course describes me, you know? Yeah, and I just, I look forward to these chapters ahead because I feel like, compassion is something that people don't think about very often as far as what it really, really means. And yeah. Until until you learn to kind of love what you thought you hated and become indifferent about it and and in in a way that profoundly changes everything about how you interface with the world. Yeah. Um, we really don't know what compassion is. So uh, well. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. And I just appreciate so much this project you're doing and I'm, I'm grateful and happy to be a part of it. Well, I want to, I want to give a, a little task to listeners. I want you to, if you can, in your daily routine or one time in the week, I want you to try to look at a situation that's, that's uh, constantly come up in your life. That's constantly, been a, a pain point in your life, maybe a relationship with your parents or a sibling or um, maybe an, an ex-relationship that you just haven't faced and that, that always comes up in your mind or comes up in your in your present. And, and try to give yourself a moment and, and try to face that thing and, and go through it in detail and let go of it. Um, the, the, brain, the brain's really, really fascinating the way that it traps things and holds on to it but how it releases it as well. So Yeah, and ask yourself what that pain actually did to you and if, in fact, you're better for it. Yeah. So a little task, a little homework for you all. I love it. Um, love it. I can't appreciate everybody listening to this. I can't even tell you how much gratitude it brings me, how much pride it brings me, how much love, the energy coming backwards, I can feel it. Like I said, I've got contacted by people and just talking it out, being surprised by some of the people that have actually been listening. Um, it's been a, a wonderful uh, journey in that aspect, and it, it fills my heart up. It gives me a ton of energy. So I cannot thank you all enough for supporting this project. I hope it's bringing some value to you as well. Look for it on um, SoundCloud, iTunes on your phone. It's a free download, Real, Raw, and Flawed. Download it, subscribe, it's important. Leave a review. It makes it really makes a difference and it means the world to us. Uh, and I can't I can't tell you how much I love you and, and uh, support you and appreciate all the support you've had for me, Amber, in, in everything I've done. So I'm 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 really excited about doing this project and having you involved in it. It's it's gonna be a massive help for just you and I, but hopefully for everybody else. So thank you. Well, we're gonna Watch out, Tony Robbins, because we're about to take over. And in true 1987, <laughs> yeah. in true 1987 fashion, uh, I've had the time of my life, like the Dirty yeah. Dancing theme song from 1987. So I love you so much. And All I'm right. proud of you, too. All right, you, you, you uh, fellow Camp Serotonians, appreciate <laughs> you listening. Uh, like I said, go down on the podcast. Great being with you. Thanks for our support. Until next time. Peace out.